everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux episode 0178, Waiting on Awesome. Recorded whatever the day's date is, because I'm not reading it, and I can't think without reading. January 31st, 2015. And brought to you by Element OP Productions. Element OP dot com i'm just gonna leave that yeah i'm not not even gonna mess with it gonna leave it there welcome back (laughs) ladies and gentlemen to the linux show that's not about linux but about life in the context of linux i am your host mark the sultan of the soapbox cockerel and joining me this week as always are your two stalwart co-hosts chris the command line godfather neves and seth the gooey kid anderson hello gentlemen well hello sir and hello to our audience i hope you had a great time and how about that football game that we haven't watched yet (laughs) good evening to all of the fine linux listeners far and wide so if you're a new listener haven't been listening long you may not know where the nicknames come from the sultan of the soapbox the gooey kid seth calls himself the gooey kid he he named himself that like early on he was going to be the representative of the graphical user interface on this show, on this Linux show, <laughs> back when it was a Linux show. Believe it or not, there was a time when this was actually a Linux show. It um, was all about Linux yeah, all the time. Yeah, and I I coined the command line godfather yes. for Chris, and I was like, well, if he's the command line godfather, I will take the opposite <laughs> pole, and I will be the gooey kid. So, uh, And then we struggled with a long yeah, time. For like to two and a half years, nobody could come <laughs> yes. up with a nickname for me. Uh, and then finally, one of our listeners posited Sultan of the Soapbox. I liked it. We went with it. So there you go. A little uh, Linux, everyday Linux history for you. Yeah. I, 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 Nothing wrong with that. I wish I could remember the listener who, who did that. Um, you know that that would be a great um, year end thing. You know the the clip show that podcasts like to do at the end of the year, right? Is do the best listener feedback um, of all time because you know we've got that the the one um, where where the guy wrote the amazing letter uh telling the sultan to stand forth and and decry and denounce the delusional <laughs> dismemberment or something like that um we've got several really good ones and then we could include the one where i i got my name as well in fact there, there was like go. a whole forum thread about that name name the host yep um it was it, it took a long time <laughs> cuz nobody could figure out what to call me um that guy what talks a bunch um but that's a little long <laughs> The mouth. <laughs> that was one of them. Yeah. Um, but Morton Downey Jr. was already yes. like, wasn't he the mouth from the South? Uh, something yeah. like that. that. No, it was a, it's one of the man- wrestlers, managers of world class championship wrestling was the mouth of the South. Um, oh, okay. You remember that for, uh, f- coming to you live from the Sportatorium, world class championship wrestling. Uh, one of the managers <laughs> was the mouth of the South. That's uh, right. <laughs> I can't remember which one, but yeah, that sounds about he right. He was a little blonde guy. Um, I, I remember because they, I don't know if you guys know this, but uh, the the small town at the time, and that even though they were on television, they were still relatively small time wrestlers. Used to, I don't know if they still do, but they would go, they would do traveling shows. And like you could bring them to your your church or school fundraising event. Um, yep. And one year really? the, the, the wrestlers... Uh, came to my tiny school and set up a ring in the gym. And that was when uh, Gentleman Chris Adams went from being the good guy, Gentleman Chris, to the bad guy. And he'd had a hair match. Um, you remember hair matches? Um, yep. Where if you lose, you lost your hair. And they had, had cooked up this 
you know, supposedly vile substance that like dissolved your hair and made it never grow back. Um, and Kumala, the Ugandan giant, had his his uh, ponytail cut off. There were, there were a string of hair matches, and this was <laughs> this was just after uh, he had lost his hair. It started wearing a mask. He, he you know one of the lucha libre masks um, because he was bald. And I remember I was gosh fourth grade maybe, and the the he came out fighting one of the Von Erichs, who were just like the the good guys, um, uh, and and the whole. Tr- crowd was chanting baldy at him um and he he left the ring and just just stormed off and left and uh, i couldn't afford to pay for the event because uh, i couldn't afford anything back then uh so in order to get in for free i worked on the setup and teardown crew uh and you know moving heavy stuff uh and right. I, I remember they all showed up in the same limo and hung out in the same dressing room and were calling each other you know uh, buddy and Jim and Jack and by their first names and all that. And then the show and they were the worst enemies, right? Fighting and, and clawing. And then when we were tearing down, they all left again, you know, piling around. And, uh, I, I don't know what it brought all this to mind, but it did. Oh, the mouth of the South. <laughs> yeah. And down off the rails, we go, yeah, you know, sometimes <laughs> something you hear a word or uh, uh, see something and it just the images become so vivid that they actually overwhelm what your eyes are actually seeing. That was one of those moments. I oh, was yeah. I was transported back to the Wolf City High School gymnasium um, watching gentleman Chris Adams now turned bad guy storm off in a hissy fit because the crowd was calling him baldy and <laughs> Man, I loved Chris Adams and the super kick was yeah. the awesomest move. Um, he was one of my favorites. And then, yeah, he went bad and he was dead to me. <laughs> and wrestling was never, <laughs> wrestling was never, wrestling was wrestling. never the same after that. So, uh, that's yeah. all fake. All that wrestling's fake. Ain't none yeah. of it real. Oh wow! I, I don't even I don't even know where to go from there. So let's jump straight into from one fake sporting event to another. Uh, the Super Bowl. Um, I saw a great Facebook post. Uh, the Lombard, a special Lombardi Trophy has been made with a deflated football in case the Patriots win. Yes, that one was hilarious. Well, that should be entertaining. Yeah. So if you don't know, um, they were accused of deflating the uh the Colts footballs so that they could not be thrown or kicked as well uh and apparently somebody after they were accused of it and there was an inv- investigation they admitted it yes we did that um i didn't see wait, the admitting so i that's don't think david they don't know what's happened yet it's still invest being investigated you can't have something like that proven right before the big game that would cause uh uh, something to happen to one side or the other. So, Mark, nothing has been admitted oh, I, to. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I remember that. it was somebody admitted doing it at a previous game. That's what it was. It was somebody who said, "Yeah, we've done that before." Um, that's that was the article. <laughs> the, the thing. I, it was. I didn't even read the article. It was just a headline that came through in my news feed because I don't care. Um, what are you going to do? Are you going to take away I, the game? I, so, so they deflated the balls. Do you automatically advance the Colts? I don't, I don't, I mean, how could you do that? They, you'd have to replay the game. That's kind of the only way you could do it fairly. Um, yeah, right. cause you can't say that, you know, all of those interceptions and sacks and fumbles and, and all the other things that made the game go one way 
wouldn't have happened if they'd had properly inflated balls. Right. There's a show title for you. <laughs> <laughs> Deflated balls. Yeah. Properly inflated balls. Okay. So the Super Bowl is tomorrow, which is why we're recording on Saturday instead of Sunday. If you show up Sunday to listen to the show live, we won't be there. Uh, I no, think, we'll be watching the game. I think that the uh, the uh, Seahawks are going to take it again. Yeah, that's my I, I'm with you. I think they will, too. Yeah. I, I wish there were some way that both teams could lose because, like, right. <laughs> if you could look at the, like, whenever the playoffs were set, I was like, who are the two teams I really don't want to see in the Super Bowl? Uh, Seattle and New England. And that's who's there. <laughs> so, um, although I think this will be a great close game, they look equally well matched. But, yeah, I think it's going to be something like 24-20 Seattle. You think it'll be that close? I think it'll be a really close game. I'm 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 okay with calling it a close game. I think it will be a higher scoring game than twenty four twenty. I mean, it could very well be, but we'll see. I, I went online be before the show just out of curiosity to see if I could still buy Super Bowl tickets this late. Right, the game uh, starts in less than twenty four hours, and yes. There are tickets available. Uh, the cheapest one I found was seven thousand six hundred dollars, um, mm-hmm. and that was sitting up in the nosebleed sections in a corner, not even uh, the end zone or or midfield. Uh, the midfield first section seats were one hundred four thousand a piece, and you had to buy a minimum of two. Wow, that's it's just that, that's just crazy. Yeah, so that's a bargain, Mark. You should have snapped those <laughs> up. Yeah. <laughs> quarter million dollars and, and charge them to your account right seth <laughs> yeah um sure i mean i could write a check for it <laughs> that wouldn't be a problem yeah. it's in the mail i could write you a check for a million. <laughs> oh, that's funny uh okay um and google fiber is coming to atlanta that's been announced for a little while but i doubt it will actually come to me um, oh, I live. you're not going to make a, not going to make a play, uh, or you don't want to pay the well. I mean, the, it, the setup? no, I mean, I live north of Atlanta. I live in a suburb of Atlanta. Oh, so I die, I'm sure it will come to downtown Atlanta, and not to suburban Atlanta. And internet isn't enough. Okay, okay. Here's the thing. Yeah, uh, Avondale Estates, College Park, East Point, Sandy Springs, Smyrna, Hapeville, Decatur. And Brookhaven. Uh, Smyrna, Smyrna and Sandy Springs, I could live in one of those areas. Um, okay. It, those, I might even, I am such a big geek, I would consider my place of, of residence based on Google Fiber. I truly would. I would too. When I'm looking at, uh, you know, I've got, a, I've got a house in Texas I'm trying to sell I, that I have been for almost three years now. Um, I've, I am renting here. My lease will be up in the summer. Uh, I would consider relocating to Smyrna or Sandy Springs um, for the purpose of getting Google Fiber. If I could get gigabit fiber, <laughs> I might choose where to live based on that. I would. I know I definitely would. If 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 I had to make a choice, I would definitely make a a purchase or a house purchase based on quality of internet service because I've so, been okay, Mark. In sticks for so long. Um, are you being a total geek like you would move to another geographical location for Google Fiber or because you're in the area, you would move to a different space in the same area for Google Fiber? 
Um, I would not move to, say, College Park, downtown Atlanta, for Google Fiber. Right. I would not move. I would not increase my commute for Google Fiber. But both of these areas are not far from where I work and not terribly far from where I live. Uh, in fact, Smyrna would even be closer to where I work. So, um, yes, I would take that as a major factor uh, right up there uh, along with uh, schools and crime rate. I would put uh, Google Fiber in that category. Okay. Yeah, I cool. could definitely see that. It would be in the top, what, top three? Yeah. Four? I, I, would, I would say, you know, if you're like the Zillow app I used heavily when I was looking uh, the first time, and there's criteria that you can search for. Um, and I would, at the time, broadband availability was not one, but it wouldn't surprise me to see that in the near future. When you're, when you're choosing where to live, uh, where to buy, where to rent, whatever, where to build, uh, I would think that people are going to start choosing um, bandwidth uh, as a major deciding factor or something, you know, one other thing that goes into the equations. Right. Yeah, yeah. I can see that. I would, if I were going to move, to a city that I would care what speeds were available, but um, I wouldn't move just because of the speed. Right. I don't think. Yeah, Seth, I haven't uh, seen it in your list here. Did you have a link uh, about the fact that the FCC has officially changed the definition of broadband? Yes. Okay. That was. Uh, it was kind of. Uh, well, yeah, we'll, it was in there. We'll get there. I won't. I won't okay. spoil it then. Um, <laughs> And uh, Linux- darn it, that's it. I'm out of the show. Forget it. <laughs> and Seth, are you are you are you actually using Linux now? Well, you know, I tinker around with Linux, but um, I was um walking home. I was walking out of work with an old laptop, and a guy from work had some uh, recovery CDs from the same company. So I was going to try to slap a version of Windows on it and sell it because it came with Windows Vista and. I don't have a problem with Vista. I just didn't have the media to reinstall it. I have the product key and all. So um while I was walking down with it, somebody's like, yeah, I've been looking to try Linux. I'm like, well, this machine would be perfect for Linux. So I installed uh Linux Mint 17.1 with Cinnamon Desktop and yep. took it to him and let him use it for a week. And I said, on Friday, either, you know, give me the computer or you can buy it from me. So I let him run it for a few days. And he's like, Hey, this is cool. I like it. You know, uh, it, it can do everything I want it to do. So he bought it from me. So we have converted someone to the dark side. Uh, Linux is now plus one. Yay. That, that may be 100% more users than this show has ever converted to Linux now as a result. Maybe of that. so. <laughs> that would, that possible. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, you know, we are one step close to world domination. Yeah, now now we're at to uh, five point zero 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 one percent of the desktop right. market. <laughs> nice shot. That's all right. We'll get there. It'll be the year of the desktop. Just you wait. <laughs> yeah, twenty fifteen, the year of the Linux desktop, which has been the declaration <laughs> since nineteen seventy eight. I think. <laughs> uh, pretty close, I'm sure. Um, but first, starting with our listener feedback, this is almost unprecedented. Um, and this didn't come Almost? to me. I don't know. I don't know who this was sent to, but, uh, one of our listeners is writing in to say that I'm right. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's never happened before. Um, I, I'm with you. I don't think anyone's ever written in saying that you're right. Yeah. So this is, uh, I'll give you a little background. 
I'll give you a little background it, on this voicemail. This is a coworker of mine who I turned on to the pure awesomeness that is the Everyday Linux <laughs> podcast, and he was listening to it, and he sent me this email. So, um, I, I, you know, and we just we've kind of talked about the show back and forth, but he sent me this email unsolicited, so I figured I would put it in the show okay, that and share it with our wider audience. Because <laughs> generally, the people who listen to the show and are passionate enough to comment don't have anything positive to say about me. Uh, <laughs> Most of the time. So, uh, Joel from Texas says that Mark is right about Abe Lincoln Vampire Hunter. I loved that book. It was so real, well written that I would consider it a good bio- biographical introduction to Lincoln if you ignore the parts about vampires. Um, I commented on it that that was my audio book uh, at the time last week. I've finished it since then and started another one. Um, and uh, it was a good, solid book, well written. I uh, ended poorly. I think. Oh, I hate when that happens. It was, it was like, I could see the, uh, the author had like a, a list of bullet points. Okay. We got to talk about this. Got to talk about this. This was an important event in Lincoln's life. We got to talk about this. And, and then the end of the book. Okay. <laughs> so he just kind of got there and said, I'll end it here. I, I will say, however, that end it, I think that the movie, which, which, is so vastly different by the book. I was actually startled to discover that the same guy wrote the screenplay. So the the author of the book wrote the screenplay for the movie. Wow! Even though they wow. are vastly different works, um, right? I think that the movie ended better than the book did. I think that's huh. the only thing that was better about the movie. The movie I enjoyed, uh, but not because it was a great piece of literature. It was it was it was an hour and a half of bubble gum for the brain. Uh, it was fun. It was ludicrous at parts. It was uh, uh, emotional at parts, and that, that's fine. It's not a good movie, but a fun movie. And I don't always need them to be both. A movie can be good, right. it can be fun, and it can be both. Um, uh, an example of a, a good movie that's not fun is uh, Fury. I think I've mentioned it before. The Brad Pitt tank movie. That movie's not yeah. fun. I left that movie feeling like I had spent two hours with somebody punching me in the gut. But it's a good movie. Not uh, right. Saving Private Ryan. Good yes. movie, not a fun movie. Uh, don't want to see it again. Um, yeah, not a date movie either. Right. Just in case you were wondering, <laughs> you wouldn't want to take your girlfriend with you to watch Saving Private yeah. Ryan or probably Fury. Yeah, Schindler's List. Good movie, not a fun movie. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Fun movie, not a good movie. Um, right. And so that's a bleak and vampire hunter. It was fun, just wasn't good. The book was both fun and good. So I was, I was, I thought it was one of those things where um, studio buys the rights to the book, mangles it, author doesn't have anything to say about it. Turns out he wrote the screenplay, so uh, he was cashing in on his own, I guess. Uh, well, well, it sounds guess. like you described the World War Z fiasco. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, there okay. you go. There's that. So we have some listener feedback. Um, uh, with an asterisk. That one goes in the rule books, uh, in the history books with an asterisk because it, it was sidelong feedback. Uh, but turns out I'm not always wrong. Um, Chad, uh, <laughs> Dr. Chad, by the way, uh, writes in about unintended consequences. He said, I really enjoyed the discussion on the recent episode of Obama, Obama's legislation plans. It should be required when they pass a law to look at the unintended consequences, but it seems like they never do. 
I had a patient with a successful small business where he made artistic items for children's bedrooms that were basically, and he was basically forced out of business when they passed a law that all children's items sold needed to have extensive testing, around $5,000 per item, which is what he said it would cost, which is fine for a mass-produced product line where you just have to test one of the items and it counts for all of them. But uh, if she had unique items that she sold for approximately $100 and to spend several thousand dollars to test each one, it essentially closed her business. Anyway, love the podcast. Always enjoyable. Chad. So there's Thank another you, example of, you know, uh, if you, I, I'm, I'm, I'm understand your um, point of view, Chad, that it should be required that you uh, look at the unintended consequences, but can you look at unintended consequences? Is, is that even possible? Um, and we've seen situations where laws were, passed based on feedback from experts but it, it depends on which expert right you can look at the whole global warming thing um there are experts on both sides of that debate uh yeah and then they say vastly different things so good idea i don't think it's practical though yeah i don't think it'd be practical either um but i think they should at least do a brain exercise on what could happen with this yeah. passing what we, I don't think that ever gets done. What we certainly don't need is more czars. Why, no. why did that become the thing, by the way? The drugs are the technology. There's a czar for everything these days. And and that's supposed to make, you know, we have this one guy. We've put him in charge of all this stuff. And so as long as he rubber stamps a law, it must be okay. Um, right. You know, laws are tough. They're supposed to be tough. That's why it's a law. You know, the thing that I hate is... Let's pass a law about that because there aren't right. any other laws that address right. this. It's like, you know, it's you, you see a story on the news about this kid who has, you know, inoperable radiation proof brain cancer and is going to die two seconds after the story ends. Well, that pulls on your heartstrings. And so you feel compelled to go and give to the American Cancer Society or something online. So it's that knee jerk reaction. There is this need and it is a real need. There's this real problem. I'm powerless to go, you know, I'm not going to go out to my woodshed and whip up a cure for cancer, but I can go give some money to the people to do it. So there's this issue. Corporations are raping the American public. So this knee jerk reaction is we got to throw some law out there. So let's do something. Wait a minute. They haven't. The reason we're in this situation is because they aren't following the laws that yeah. are already on the books. Exactly. So what's the cure? Put new laws on the books. Right. That just <laughs> doesn't. It don't make no sense. That dog don't hunt. And just so that you know, I got them. Uh, all of you who sent me email um, picking apart the um, the legal discrepancies when when I talked about last week uh, interrupting a rape. That I intentionally chose an incendiary topic, um, and I intentionally <laughs> was black and white about it. And I got lots of response to that. And yes, I know that I did not speak the letter of the law. Um, there are times where you will, uh, there are defenses for exerting force to protect not only yourself, but somebody else. But the fact remains, you don't get to defend yourself until you've been arrested and taken to jail. So in every scenario, every one of you who wrote me a letter or an email, nobody writes letters anymore, wrote me an email <laughs> explaining how I was wrong about the fact that you do have a legal precedent for defending somebody else with violence. You do have that defense before a judge after you've spent time in jail. 
So my initial point was I expect to be take, arrested and taken to jail if I interrupt somebody in the violence, uh, committing a violent crime using violence still stands. I will be arrested. I will be taken to jail. I will likely be acquitted. But that doesn't change the fact that I'm going to spend some time in jail. Right. We don't have a system in this country where you are exonerated on the spot in the same way that we don't have a system where you're condemned on the spot. There's a process. Right. Well, that, it, there's a reason there's a process, and that's a good process, but doesn't mean it's a right process. I've spent time in jail. I don't want to go back there. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, there you go. Now you're wondering, does Mark have a past? Yeah. <gasps> I think everybody spent some time in jail, right? Maybe just a Boy Scout tour. Yeah. So, yeah. Does working in one count? Yeah, see, you've spent time in jail, too. Prison ministry. Yeah. Just about everybody spent some time in jail. You maybe maybe in a small town, that's where you go to pay to your water bill. Right? So you've been in jail Could too. Be. That's the way it was. But the you took it out of context. Blah blah blah. Yeah, exactly. So context <laughs> is everything. Okay. Uh that's it. Again, we I had listener feedback. We got a lot of news this week. We short uh shorted the news last week, so uh we're gonna just dive right into lots of news stuff because um that's really all Seth brings to this show, and if we cut it out then then we've cut him out. I haven't decided what Chris brings to the show yet. Um oh. Hey, I brought a lot of guests last year. That's true. Uh yep. like two or three times as much as we've had in the past. <laughs> right. So, uh, but don't worry, all you people out there, they've gone back to ignoring my emails and phone calls. <laughs> all the people who I had, like, let's get together. I, they, their idea of together and mine don't seem to be the yeah. same thing. So, oh, it's like when so. you ask that girl for her number and she says, no, let me give you, why don't you give me your number and I'll call you? Right. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. they, I don't ever get that far. So. <laughs> Um, okay, uh, moving right along. EA Sports um, is jumping in the freemium game. Interesting. Yeah, this was, um, you know, we've all seen, it, if you have a smartphone or tablet, you have some apps on there, and you got all the free games, and with in-app purchases, they have decided that buying gas to fill up your tank Ugh. is is a good way to get some in-app revenue apparently it will uh slowly fill up over time right. but if you want to race again immediately then you need to buy some gas to get your it reminds me of a there was an april fool's joke years ago that ea sports was going to uh charge for air for the football so saying you know you don't have to buy air but if not you better get really good at the running game the patriots wouldn't pay for that so it's problem solved (laughs) yeah you know and the thing was i had copy and paste that was going to be in our news section and then i was like oh this was april fools it was a great (laughs) one but uh, i was like man but no this is apparently a a real thing now so buying gas for the car for a racing game is now and you know i'm not hammering ea sports because everybody does it you know programmers got to make some money and avoiding ads is uh you know i just it's the classic pay or wait um you know i've heard it called pay to wait and that doesn't make any sense to me uh i i talked about it uh here a while back when i was playing clash of clans and you start out waiting uh, you know, a minute and then two minutes and then four minutes and it doubles every time and it doesn't ever get any better. 
Um, yep. And I, it, that's when I stopped playing the game. When I realized that at some point I would spend five minutes playing the game and 37 days waiting, that that's done. That, it's never going to be uh, again. And so that, yeah, that's, yeah. that's what this is going to be. The higher you level up, the longer it takes you to get gas. So the point is you cannot function unless you pay pay money. Um, fine. Okay, if you want that, give me a version of the game where I pay once and all of those are done. Don't yeah. make me buy jewels or coins or, you know, magic clouds or, or glowing rings. Don't make me buy those every time. Let Have an option, 20 bucks. If I like this game and I'm, I've decided I'm going to play this game for months now, let me pay you $20 for an unlimited amount of whatever the magic is, in this case, gas. But nobody does that. There's there's the two models. There's the pay, the, there's the, well, three really. There's watch ads. There's pay up front. Um, uh, and or trialware, right? Where you get a, a certain amount free, and then you got to pay, which I respect the most, frankly. Uh, and then there's this pay or wait method where you there's no way out of it other than constantly sinking your money money into it. The Simpsons game, you're buying donuts, right? There's there's always something. Um, mm-hmm. and it uh, it frustrates me for a couple of reasons. Uh, the the Candy Crush, right? Again, pay or wait. You get so many times, and then you can't play again. Uh, unless you pay. Um, mm-hmm. And it frustrates me because, primarily because it's so effective. So many people do it. Uh, yeah. Zynga has made hundreds of millions of dollars with that methodology. And it's we really are just rats in a cage pushing the bar to get the next pellet. It's yeah, kind of creepy I was, when you uh, think of it that way. There's this website. Um, it's a website I go to to play logic games. I love playing logic games. And I was like, you know... I want to give them some money because I enjoy this so much. So I was going to give them some money until my only option was $20 for a three-month period without ads. And I'm like, dude, I'm not going to do that. That's ridiculous. So, you know, if they would have had a PayPal option, I would have probably given them 10 bucks. But $20 for three months without ads on there, that they're, I mean, that's, that's 80 bucks a year. To go to a website and play logic games, I'm not going to do that. So they, and, there's and got to be a better way. If it's something you enjoy enough, you'll pay that, and that's fine. That's that's a viable option. But the thing is, because there was no other option, they lost you completely. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. the, you yeah. you will never pay them a penny because they wouldn't let you pay less. Right. Yeah, and you know that's kind of the way the world works right now. It sucks, but. It is. Uh, I, you know, I ad supported is still a very viable option. It works. They're getting uh, slicker with the ads. Uh, um, you know, I've talked about the chess game I like, where uh, one of the buttons you push almost all the time is a pixel away from the button that launches the ad, uh, the banner, uh, and so I'm misclicking it constantly. Uh, great. I, I don't. I don't have a problem with that. That's actually creative game design. He makes sure that he gets lots of click-throughs on his ads by putting them so close to the gameplay that you're on it. Yes, it's frustrating, but I'm not mad at him about that because also there's like a $6 version of the game I can buy and never do that again. I've probably paid him an ad $70 at this point because I didn't want to pay $6 for the game. Yeah. Um, a friend of mine at work just recently got me into Words with Friends, which has been around forever, uh, but he invited me to play. I'd never played the game. I'd never played Scrabble. Um 
So really? I, I didn't I didn't know the rules. I didn't know how to, I kept getting these blank tiles and didn't know what to do with them. I didn't know they were wild cards. Uh, but anyway, uh, it's you, every time you play a word, you see an ad, and then the more you play, the more the delay in the ads, right? So you can skip this ad in, in 30 seconds or there's no skip button, but the close button at the top corner fades in after five or six seconds. Um, right. That's clever to me. It's also super annoying and is enough for me to not play the game anymore if it continues. Uh, but that's because I don't care that much about the game. Um, right. But there's a, there's a pay ver- for version of it. I don't know what it is. If it's three bucks and I want to keep doing it, I'll probably do that. Um, the the, well, the problem is that people don't give you enough options. I think. Well, there's that, and then it's also one of those things where it's. I've run into the problem where, uh, at least with some of the the pay up front games that I've bought, where the game save dies on the machine. Right. So if you're like my current one of my current games that I was playing on my Nexus before I factory wiped it was um it was one of the old Final Fantasy games. I've probably bought this game 17 times now at this rate. And because the save doesn't follow me, I now have to start all over in a game that I've probably put 60 plus hours in. Yeah. My favorite backup tool, um, Titanium Backup on Android, uh, you, they, they email you a code that you paste into, uh, a box on any, phone so the i that i've moved that through several phones and every time it comes up and says hey you're not registered i paste in this code that i've saved in my email and i've got it Mm -hmm. that makes sense um my podcast catcher beyond pod uh you buy a separate app and the separate app is the unlock key and that's in the in the store with your name on it you can always download it anytime you want i think that's a a smart way to do it but yeah with when they're not thinking about that it's maybe that they're there. It's not that they're not thinking about it. They are thinking about it and they know it's a way to get you to pay it again. Yeah. Right. So at this point, I just pretty much didn't buy this one. I'm not going to, I'm not going to rebuy it. It's just going to be, I'm never going to play the game again. Uh, A listener was in our chat room uh, earlier in the week. I hang out there. uh, Free note, IRC network, uh, element OP chat room. Uh, And he was asking, he just gotten his first Android smartphone and he was asking about podcast apps, and I gave him a couple that I thought was were good, and and the ones the one that I liked, and and he said, well, you know, Beyond Pod is six bucks. I'm not sure I want to pay for podcasts. Okay, I, I fine, I get that mindset, but my thinking of it is, I listen to fifteen to twenty hours of podcasts a week, every week. If I can pay six bucks to make that easier, why wouldn't I? I go to yeah. lunch and I throw the waitress six bucks without thinking about it as a tip. But when right. it's when you go to something that you're going to use for over the next four years, six dollars. I don't know about that. I don't know. Fifteen yeah. minutes of bringing you iced tea. Sure, we're fine with six dollars there. See, and like for me, I bet you I've probably bought ooh, five or six podcast catchers because I wanted to see the premium version, and there was no way for me to, to trial a premium version versus paying for it. And like for Beyond Pod, um, I tried it. And for a long time, I liked it, and I, I, I take the idea of a, you know, freemium app, and then a, the upgrade to a paid version, as me saying to the developer, "I like this app enough that I'm going to pay you for it." So even if I only use it for six months, I've probably already I've paid for it at month at, at the end of the month first month, 
until I find something that I don't like about the app or I find an app that does it better. Right. Which is where I've moved off of, um, from beyond pod, I moved to a different one. Um, I don't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but it works just as good, does everything I want it to do. The only thing that this one does that beyond pod didn't do is it allows me to sync all of the, um, subscriptions that I have for my podcasts to a service that I don't have to back it up. It auto backs up. If I add another, uh, another bo- podcast, it automatically adds it to my online account. So if I do wipe a machine out or a phone out or a tablet out, I just reinstall it, log back in, and I automatically have my shows already set in. Handy. Yeah. Why? So far, I I haven't dumped it yet, even yeah. though I paid those six bucks. Right, and there's nothing wrong with moving on. Things get better, you know. Uh, if things get, I, I moved on from the BlackBerry. It was great at it for a while, but things got better. Um, in mm-hmm. the same way, MySpace used to be the place to go, but people have moved on. And like BlackBerry, they're trying to make a comeback. Yeah, um, I found this article. By the way, Mark, I just got that was an awesome segue. You did a great <laughs> job on that one. Thank you for pointing um, it out and ruining it. Awesome. I'm sorry. It was just so good, <laughs> you know, and I'm trying to, I want the people to feel like they're part of us. Um, so yes, um, I did not realize that MySpace still has 50 million monthly active users. I mean, that, wow. that's a lot. And the cool thing about this article active is active users, is, people who actually go there weekly or monthly. That's, that's what it says. Wow. Active. So, um, yeah. Um, you know, they still have million, like I'm a registered MySpace user. I still have an account there and I might know what my password was because there was one I was using at the time. Um, but no, they are the 16th most popular video network out there. So, I mean, when I had to stop and think and go, wait a minute, there's 16. And I went, Oh, wait, there's probably hundreds. So they're the 16th most popular, um, video consuming websites you know you have like you have your youtube your facebook your netflix your hulu and uh you know you that's that's five right there and then so they're number 16 myspace is still alive i i I wonder if most of the users are outside the u.s i would guess well apparently like indie music myspace is still really popular um has a way to distribute your music and um you know, so if you're a band and not, not like a big band, but like a small regional kind of thing, they're playing, you know, you can put so many tracks up there and it's just more conducive to releasing a couple of songs online than like a Facebook page is. A Facebook page is better at interacting, but if you just want to go and listen to some of their music, you can go to MySpace and play some of their tracks. So if it's still apparently better for music than facebook is you know social media is is a powerful thing uh myspace yep. was not the first but one of the first and and the in america anyway uh found that that's how that's how you could get together it's you could how you could bring people together and make their eyes bleed with terrible backgrounds and and crappy midi music <laughs> uh but if you don't have the internet and you still want social networking you can do what some kids in havana did and build your own physical network across the country yeah, they, um, you know, 
Cuba is pretty much cut off from the internet. Uh, you have to like go to like a state monitored internet cafe and apparently it's kind of expensive, but, um, so what they've done is the basically youth, uh, the youth of Cuba has done like a, um, a Wi-Fi kind of metro network across the island. It connects more than 9,000 computers. Um, and, you know, here's the, the thing. They know, you know, the government has to know that it's there, but the kids are on it. They're like, we just play games. We're not political. We're not trying to start a revolution. We just want to play games and share music. And actually, if somebody gets on there doing that stuff, we kick them off. So because they're they're just being kids and they're not, you know, trying to stir up trouble, they have a de facto permission from the government because the government really hasn't shut them down. So it's, it's just kind of a cool story to read. Um, I found this one on Yahoo. Um, it's just an interesting story. So go check it out and see what Cuba is doing. Cut off from the internet. They've made their local country intranet. That's kind of cool. That just shows yeah. what, you know, what happens for when you tell a gamer he can't play online. <laughs> A right. gamer will find a way to play online. <laughs> right. I, you know, and, and like, if you hate anything or love anything, you'll find a way to make something happen. Like, if you hate uh, automatic calling, you'll find a way to make those go away, too, like the guy did in our next story. Yes. Um, this guy, Aaron Foss, he won a $25,000 cash prize from the FTC because he figured out a way to eliminate pretty much all robocalling. And by um, the way, um, uh, Richard Stallman has positioned him to change his name to Floss because Libre <laughs> is important. <laughs> oh, I broke Thank Seth. <laughs> I, just, I yeah. don't know how to... You know, that's something that needs to be commented on. You can't just go back into the story, but I don't have a comeback for that. It just, I, you caught me <laughs> off guard. I'm stuck. Nice. I'm stuck. Because free isn't, free isn't the only important thing. Libre is just, is just as important. So uh, if he, if he were to ever come on this, uh, uh, on this show, he'd require that we refer to it as GNU slash Linux. And this guy is Aaron Floss. Yes. Um, but anyway, he, he has made this service, uh, it's called No More Robo. Um, and it only works on VoIP. So, you know, if you have a landline or a cell phone, uh, it's not so much. But if you're using Vonage or any ISPs digital phone service, you can sign up for this service. And it's basically a free service. And he has done it through a combination of blacklisting those and whitelisting specific calls. So that way, you know, like federal and nonprofits can still do their thing. But um, anyway, it's just a neat story. Um, and then this article goes on to kind of talk about you know, because the government has a legal responsibility to complete phone calls that are made. So it's, or the phone companies have a legal responsibility to complete a call that's made unless you specifically block them. And so this article just kind of, you know, why is this, why is robocalling so hard to deal with? And it kind of goes into uh the ins and outs of the issue, but I just thought it was pretty neat that this guy just decided, you know, there's got to be a way to do this. And so he uses, um, he uses cloud computing services, much, uh, mostly Amazon web services and Twilo to block, you know, so 
if I had his service, I wouldn't be able to have my fun experiences with the fake Microsoft support people yes, yes. or the Florida <laughs> timeshare guys. You know, I, I would never hear from them. Well, you know, but, there was uh, the, the national do not call list put some dent in that and uh, right. other states adopted. I know Texas has a do not call list. I signed up for both of those when they first came out and my calls dropped immediately. And the rule there was nobody can call you unless they have a previous business agreement. Uh, or relationship right. with you and that helps uh, so you don't get the total cold calling about uh, dish uh, network trying to sell you something or or something like that but you can still get visa everybody has a visa card uh, right. either credit or debit and everybody does business with visa therefore that is a second level business relationship so anybody who uses visa as as a clearinghouse now has permission to call you so it it works for a while until they find the loophole everybody's always finding loopholes um, right it, it, That's why I hate it, loopholes. It's it's like spam. The only reason they do it is because it still works. Yep. And when you Which stop buying from them, it'll stop. But how could you stop buying with Visa? I mean, really? Well, no, I mean from telemarketers, the cold calls, yeah. the yeah. robocalls. The ones the ro- the only robocalls that I really dislike out of out of all of them are the ones for. I've been getting a lot for the breast cancer awareness. You know donation ones right. and the um oh what was the other one i just got it was about the uh veteran you know wounded yeah. veterans fund yeah once you I give already, money to somebody that you're you're marked forever right but you see i've never given these to, to this company or these donation places money with my name it's always been anonymous you know, anonymous isn't necessarily anonymous. Bitcoin was supposed to be anonymous until prosecutors tracked $13.4 million worth of Bitcoins to a single guy's laptop. Yes. Uh, so a lot of things that um, it was this guy who was basically charged with uh, uh, Silk Road. And he's like, you know, you made this criminal marketplace to me. And the guy's defense was, um, I kind of just started it, but then I sold it to these people and they cut me out of the loop until right before and they brought me back as a fall guy. But an FBI special agent described how he was able to trace over 3000 Bitcoin transactions over a year period to his, to this guy's laptop. And, uh, you know, it's has to do with. I'm not into bitcoins, but apparently there's this uh transaction keychain that mm-hmm. um is supposed to be impossible and as far as I know it's impossible to forge or to fake and um so using those he, once he had this guy's laptop, he was able to then prove that oh look, you've been getting paid by them all along. You're actually Silk Road, so everything we're saying is true, and you know you're probably going to go to jail. So, so that actually makes me feel a little better. Uh, Bitcoin is anonymous unless somebody's in physical possession of your Bitcoin wallet. Okay, that I, I feel a lot better about that. Um, that's well, like saying I, you're you're. Your computer isn't secure when somebody sits down at the keyboard. Um, so they were able to use, they were able to incriminate him using information they already knew, not find information in the absence of information. So I feel better about that. Well, yeah, and um, Bit- go ahead, Chris. I want to say Bitcoin works along the idea that any and every transaction that goes through Bitcoin is in the BitLock, is in the Bitcoin chain. Right. So once you know the person's address, you can then go back over through the bit chain to find out every transaction that's ever been made right. to so, that but ID. It's, it's supposed to be impossible to link a person to a Bitcoin wallet. 
Um, but if they have the Bitcoin wallet, wallet on their computer, right. <laughs> then it's a kind of a pointless point. All right. You were saying, Seth? Well, no, I was just going to say, um, he was able to, um, so apparently there was over 700,000 bitcoins, uh, that were transferred to this guy. He was able to get roughly 30,000 using publicly available information. So he found some of them, but once he had his laptop, he was then able to pretty much find all of them. So yeah. it's, it's not quite as, secure as you made it sound but it's not as um insecure as you know they can know everything about you so i don't i don't know how but um they were able to track to tie him to certain bitcoins and then once they got his wallet then they tied him to like you know that opened the floodgates kind of thing so the only truly untraceable way to pay for something is with cash you know carry your vinny wad in your back pocket and and roll out hundred dollar bills for everything. That's the only way to to purchase things anonymously. With gloves on, you yeah. had to have gloves on though, because you'll leave yeah. your fingerprints on it. Well, they can prove that you handled some money at some point. That doesn't yeah. prove anything. Well, if well, and what they could have done, right? What they okay. could have done when they were tracing this out is they could have, you know, when they were doing their sting operation, they could have transferred bit, you know, uh, um bought something with Bitcoin because then you get the Bitcoin address. You get one of them. So that could be how they found some of them, you know, some of those coins that they. S- now the other, the only other thing I would want, I would, I'd be curious about is, so they seized all those bitcoins. So now, do those bitcoins go back to the community, or, or do they just get deleted? No, just like any other um, seized government uh, property, they become po- property of the government. Uh, right. I mean, once the investigation is over, they'll go into the coffers. Um, they don't or, cease you know, to be. Yeah, they'll probably auction them off. Or, you know, now they have a stockpile they can use for stings. Right. So I, I really think that in the distant future, uh, probably not in my lifetime, but, but cryptocurrency will be the de facto currency of the world. Um, paper and, you know, with, with, pictures of of leaders on it is going to go away i I don't i think it's going to be a long time before it does um and you know when you do you the obvious thing would be you'd fall back to precious metals uh and you know bartering and things like that but i think assuming you know there's not a giant catastrophe that wipes out our technology we're we won't go back to bartering precious metals we'll go back to we'll go to a, a move on to a cryptocurrency uh of some sort um that that's just what i picture happening in the future the paper with leaders on it is going to go away and i don't think it'll be bitcoin that stands tall but there will be some something like this i think and because it's got built-in inflationary um halts against it which is right. you know uh is kind of a good thing unless you know if you're if you're a debtor you like inflation if you're a creditor you don't like inflation um so in in the world of finance you've you've got both of those two together um and so having a built-in stop against inflation makes creditors happy but it may make people less likely to actually use the currency i don't know Hmm. yeah i mean as a creditor for example i buy a house for a hundred thousand dollars and i have a 30-year mortgage the hundred thousand dollars 30 years from now is worth a fraction of what the hundred thousand dollars today is that's why bankers hate inflation, right? So 
that's why I, you know, it's easier for me to get a hundred thousand dollars in 30 years than it is to get a hundred thousand dollars today, presumably assuming inflation continues. So from a consumer, from a creditor standpoint, inflation is good. Deflation is terrible. Mm-hmm. So, uh, let's say gas is a dollar a gallon and I buy a hundred thousand dollar house. So I have bought a hundred thousand gallons of gas worth of house. Well, now gas is $5 a gallon. I've only bought 20,000 gallons worth of gas for this house. So the creditor is getting ripped off. I, I like it. I win. Um, and that's why the bankers all hate inflation. Cryptocurrency, at least the, most of the ones out there that are based off of Bitcoin, Bitcoin is the biggest one, and others, you know, Dogecoin and whatever else, uh, are based on the same thing. They're, they have built-in stops against inflation. Bankers like that. I think in the end, though, the average person won't. They want to hope for some um, inflation to make their life smoother. I mean, we all decry the fact that we're paying three dollars a gallon, four dollars a gallon for gas. When when I remember back in the day when it was only a dollar, but the reality is, you know, you're now making seven dollars an hour for a job that used to be a two dollar an hour job. Uh, so you're your income has inflated along with that. The only person that loses in that scenario is the person who loans you money at the $2 a gallon price. Right. It's, it's just one of those things that money, money's money, no matter how you look at it. And, you know, assuming there is a disaster, a tsunami, a comet strike, something like that, uh, paper is now worth less. That's and- immediate deflation. Right, your hundred thousand dollars is now worth worth how many times you can wipe your butt with it? That yeah. that becomes what it's worth, or how many fires you can start with it? Um, well, and and if that happens, you know, and everyone dies, and we're all ghosts. <laughs> and at that point, Whatever. even precious metals don't matter. Gold is not as important at that point as a ham hock, right? Yeah. Or a hatchet, or yeah. you know, something that you can hunt with. Yep, bullets are, will always be important. That's true. That's true. Um, or a good bow. Yeah. Well, if you're the guy with bullets when everybody else has a bow, you win. Unless yeah. you don't so have as a long gun as your gun works. <laughs> okay. I, that, I, I didn't mean to get into an economics lecture there. It just happened. Um, uh, oh, no. There's a, a Linux vulnerability. Run for the hills. Windows guys were right. Apple uh, Linux guys were wrong. We should all run and hide. Yeah, well, um, I'm sure you, if you haven't, it's only a matter of time before the news media butchers this story, um, about ghost, which is what they're calling this latest, um, bug. And again, this bug is a couple of years old and pretty much everything has fixes for it. The problem is that when the patch is applied, the services, if not the whole machine has to be restarted. And so, you know, if you're some place that requires 24 seven uptime, then you can't ever restart a service because that's some downtime. And so that's one of the reasons that this bug has the possibility to be such a big deal is because, you know, it's not like something that you can just kind of patch on the fly. This is one of those dreaded updates. that's going to make you restart something. And so, it's something that a lot of, um, you know, a lot of critical servers are critical. If they're critical, they really can't go down. And that's why there is an opportunity for this to affect things. But the patch is out. It's been out for a while. It's just a matter of getting it 
uh, applied and then getting the service and servers restarted after the um, patch was taking place. But Ghost is out there, you know, again, you know, Microsoft has these every month. They're called Patch Tuesday. Um, you know, in Linux has updates, I don't know, a couple of times a minute, it seems. Um, so yes, there's a vulnerability. Oh no, we're all going to die. Um, I don't know. You know, I, I talked about this with the heartbleed and, and the things that have come along with these infrastructure things have, have had flaws all along, but are only just now being attacked. And this is the GNU C library, uh, glibc, which is everywhere. It's, in, it's in e- and in everything. Right. Um, it was one of those things that was written in the eighties, maybe even seventies. And it has, you know, it's grown up. It's been modified, but it's been around all along and it's had this flaw for a long time. I, I, it was introduced sometime back. It's been there, but you know, people have just now found it. There's, there's going to be a lot more of those sort of things. But the thing is, once you name it, it's fixed almost immediately. Right. The, and the, the potential is that bad guys are using it without disclosing it. So maybe somebody's been using this all along. Um, and now they're frustrated. I, I, I think not because if, uh, it's, it's, it's one of those things where you can't use it a lot. You got to be careful. Um, and, you know, bad guys are not always the best at showing restraint. So I think it's likely that. This was disclosed shortly after it was discovered and fixed shortly after it was disclosed. So I think it's a, a much ado about nothing, but it does point to that crumbling infrastructure that I've talked about before. These things that we've just built upon and have been relying on, SSL, um, glibc, and, and others, um, they're not perfect code. And this code has never been audited for the most part. Right. Um, well, and it just goes to show, you know, there for a couple of years, we were always, compl- you know, being happy that we we're building on the backs of giants. Well, we're finding out that those giants yeah. weren't very thick. <laughs> they, they were lumbago. Yeah, they, they had itty bitty bone structure, and they're just <laughs> stilts. <laughs> well, so, again, go ahead. Sir. I was just going to say that the thing is, these things, for the most part, are being utilized in ways that weren't even in the minds of people when they were being invented they were just like hey can these two computers talk together can i get these four different programs all to use a common library you know there wasn't a you know billions and trillions of dollars a day are going to depend on this thing functioning securely this was just some geek you know who took a break from eating pizza and playing pong and wrote this in five minutes just just to see if he could because he couldn't get a date that friday night and now we're running the world's economy on it so and nobody's paying for it because it's open source so we need to invest in the infrastructure we're using um either that or just totally scrap it and build a brand new infrastructure those are the two choices we have as a society yeah and it begins with audits right. somebody needs to 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 audit it and you know you got to you got to have your you got to have skills to do that and and it's difficult to to find people with the skills to to audit code who aren't already 
gainfully employed doing something else. Right, right. Um, so maybe you and our audience could become one of those guys, and you can start it with our friends over at the linuxacademy.com, your gateway uh, to learning how to be a Linux administrator. Maybe you can be part of the problem, uh, part of the solution to the problems that we talk about today. Um, you do that by way of their step-by-step video courses that are designed, as I said, to take you from being a beginner to a Linux uh, certified Linux administrator. Their goal is to make you certifiable. Um, they, they have hundreds of video courses now. Uh, I've, you know, the code, the copy in the page says almost 200. They're way, way beyond that by now. Uh, but it's video, uh, content created by people who are experts in the field, independently certified experts in the field. Um, and they, it's, they don't just stop at videos like some other services. They give you uh, the PDF references and study guides that are time-coded with what you're watching so that you can see it. You can jump to the re, uh, the section to read about it. You can jump back to the to the video to watch it again. And then while you're doing that, you can load up their amazing lab platform that runs you lets you run up to eight different Linux distributions, four of them simultaneously, in Amazon's cloud uh, network. So it's lightning fast. It's safe. It's secure. You can experiment with things. You can break things, and nobody will uh, will care. And it's it's just a full on learning experience. Every learning methodology is is addressed by their their products. And uh, once you're once you're part of their community, you are literally a part of their community. You're not just a customer. You're you're part of the community. There's forums there. There's um, you know interaction between other people who are on the same journey. And not only that, but interaction with the people who design these courses. You ask a question, you will get an answer from the guy who wrote the course. Not just some, you know, uh, independent, uh, unknowing, high minimum wage help desk guy. You're going to talk to the guy who knows. The expert who wrote the stuff is going to answer your questions. Um, they have uh, some new stuff that they've just put out, some um, courses um, in that are going along away from just Linux. Of course, Linux is always the core. But they've got the Amazon Web Services now. They've got other certifications. They have the, one of the newest certifications is just the the, the intro. So say you're a developer, um, you you know how to write Windows code, you want to maybe write some Linux code, you just need to know the basics. They've got a course for that now, just an introductory sort of stuff. Um, and one of my favorite features is their learning plans. You say, I'm going to take this module. I want to learn this thing. I've got this time, you know, three hours a day, three days a week to do it. Write a, a syllabus for me. And it'll do that. It'll tell you what courses you need to do, what uh, labs you should study for, what uh, practice tests you should take. And it'll send you an email every day reminding you. It's an itinerary, a learning itinerary on your journey of knowledge. Um, And you're just not going to find this anywhere else um, for the prices that they offer here. And and let's talk prices. $25 a month is the highest, the most you can pay. $25 a month is nothing. Uh, for, for, I mean, I have paid that much for poor quality, um, learning and you can pay way more than that for, you know, some boot camp somewhere, thousands of dollars for five days. How about $25 for a month? Uh, if you want to buy a quarter, three months, it's only $20 a month, $60 for the quarter. Or if you want to buy annually, it's uh, $199, uh, which breaks down to about $18 a month. So you're, you're not going to. Uh, I'm sorry, that's old information. It is now $65 a month and $215 a year. The information has changed. I was I was lying to you by the <laughs> by a rate of like 20 bucks. <laughs> sorry. Wow. So yeah, and even then, yeah, and even then, it's not that bad. This yeah. is one of those things that no matter how much you spend on this, it's going to be worthwhile. 
Yeah. So uh, $215 for a year and uh, $65 for a quarter, $25 uh, for a month. You just, you're not going to find this quality at that price. And I stand by that statement. When you go, uh, however, if you go to uh, linuxacademy.com slash everyday Linux, all of this pricing I just said doesn't matter. They have special prices for our listeners. So go check those out, uh, linuxacademy.com slash everydaylinux. That'll let them know that you came uh, uh, straight from here to there, and they will you they will be rewarded for it, and so will we. So check them out, linuxacademy.com. Yeah, I just want to you know throw in my about maybe three cents here, not just two. But, you know, whenever I've had questions and I've emailed Anthony, I've got a response if not that same day because it was late and I keep off hours, I got a resp- I had a response waiting on me the next day. So, you know, it's not like we take your money, you'll never hear from us. It's they want, if you have questions, they have answers and they will get to you with those concerns. And dude, if you want to get involved in the IT field, there's a lot of money to be made and you're going to have to spend some money to because I mean, okay, you could go out and you could through forums and YouTube channels and help and you know help sites. You could find all this information yourself. Do you have five years to spend doing that? Because the internet, I don't know if you've heard, it's a pretty big place. There's lots of information out there, and you've got to figure out if the information you found is for the right. Maybe you found the correct answer ten versions ago, and things don't work that way anymore. You go to a place like the Linux Academy. They keep the information fresh and current and they bring it in there and it's, it's just well worth it. It's well worth it. If you want to get involved in the technology field. Excellent. Thank you, Seth. You know what may not be worth it? That internet connected baby monitor that you bought may not be worth the money that you spent. Well, this, um, this nanny was, um, she, there's this one year old girl and she's like been any of it. And she was going, um, you know, just doing her normal stuff. And she heard an unfamiliar voice come on the family baby monitor saying, that's a really poopy diaper. And so, you know, at first she thought that maybe it was like the owners or somebody playing a prank on her. But, and it also said that, you know, maybe you should change your password. So, because you buy these, you know, you can now get baby monitors and, oh, look, you can, you can look at it through an iPad, um, or an iPhone and see your baby anytime you want to. Well, there's nothing wrong with that, but you need to change the password because if you broadcast that on the internet, anybody can see it. So, you know, maybe you don't care. You'll let anybody see your baby. Um, but you know, by the same token, I don't know. It was just kind of scary. If you're going to get an internet connected device, change um, the freaking password. Yeah. Or at least, at least. put a password. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, blank and admin. That's everybody knows that. Uh, admin and password. Everybody knows that. P A P at S S W zero R D. Everybody knows that. <laughs> Make darn it. Seth. A password. I got to change my password now. Yeah. Um, <sighs> Come up let with me a in is not a good password. Don't yeah. use let me in. Um, or incorrect. Incorrect is not a good password. Um, Keep I, out is not a good password. Yeah. One of my favorite, or, or password spelled backwards, not as clever as you think it is. Um, uh, Brian Brush, Brushwood, you guys, uh, if you uh, listen to podcasts, uh, might know him, has a, a show on National Geographic called Hacking the System, 
And I think it was the first episode he did this. He went to a buddy of his house um, with like several different baby monitors from off the shelf and experimented until he found the one that matched the one uh, in his house and was talking to his friend over the baby monitor. And that's got to be super creepy. Um, you know, like we were talking about earlier, these things are not built with security in mind. They're built with functionality in mind. Yep. Um, and nobody cares about, um, security. Literally, nobody cares about security. Even if the word security is stamped on the box, it just means it has the ability to put a password in it. So I'm not saying don't use body, baby monitors. I'm not saying don't use the internet of things. Just have some common sense. You know, if you've still got that, uh, little Linksys blue box router, uh, sitting up on a bookshelf that you took straight out of the box and plugged it in because the cable guy told you you had to. You're you're part of the problem. Go change the password. Um, and you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't want. Of course, I'm not the the. I I'd set up a nanny cam at my house using my own technology. Um, and that was so that my wife and my baby could talk to me while I was at work. It wasn't spying. It was, she was home with the kid. I wasn't home with the kid. I wanted to be. Uh, so people do these things for, for, for good reasons. Here's a camera. Here's a baby monitor. I want to be able to keep up with, with baby. I log on to this secure website <clears throat> and, um, and check on my baby. You know, the website may be secure, but that doesn't mean that the, the end point is. So just pay attention, people. Yeah. You know, and we talked about, I know we talked about it last week. There was this neat article where uh, Jimmy oh, oh, Kimmel. Let me, I'm sorry. Let me inter- interrupt you. Okay. And you're not doing any favors, geeks, by scaring the crap out of some nanny. That guy probably thought he was a white hat when he said you should change your password. You're not helping. All right, no, you're ahead, hurting. <laughs> yeah. Um. You know, they went through. Uh, this guy took a camera out on the street and asked people their passwords, and they wouldn't say what it was. Oh, you know, it was the year I was born. And then, so, well, you know, did you go to school at so-and-so? When did you graduate? So that makes you how old? You're this old? No, I'm that old. So it just a couple of minutes talking, it just found out their found out all the information they needed to go and crack their password. So you need to come up with something that isn't identifiable like that. Take five minutes and just, you know, throw darts at a, uh, throw darts at a keyboard on your old computer. And the first five you hit, I I don't know, just come up with the (laughs) password that is random and isn't your birthday or your mom's birthday or your pet's name, because this, oh my gosh, that that was the that's my pet's name. Which pet? Oh, which dog did I have back then? I don't remember. And so you're like, was it this one? Was it this one? I made it my which dog? You know. So yeah, come up with something. Come on, people, we can do better. Last pass for the wind. Yeah, and yeah. hopefully there are technologies that will make those things, uh, you know, passe. I believe that probably in the end of my. But but by the end of my lifetime, we will remember the time when we had passwords in the same way that we remember the time when everybody wore swatches. Um, it is just it, is, it will have been a time in the past that has come and gone, and people won't use passwords anymore. We'll come up with something better. You know, Apple's uh, Touch ID is you know that's a step in that direction, mm-hmm. and other things are going to we'll we'll get past that, but we're not there yet. Or like uh, that thing that um, oh I just blanked his name squirrel yes steve gibson yes sir man you were right in my mind right there that was creepy (laughs) it's it's not a a vast area it's it's pretty oh (laughs) gee 
Slam. I know why. See, I know why, why you guys sends, bring me on here. That's why I know why sends you sends me the email. Me emails. <laughs> well, I now know why you bring me on the show. So you have someone to shoot zingers at. Ah, <laughs> I must have Target written on my face somewhere. Well, that's it's in your lower third. So. Oh, is that what uh, that is? Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's why everybody picks on me, because I pick on everybody else. Um, <laughs> speaking of picking on, the Federal Trade Commission says, hey, if you say unlimited, it's got to be freaking unlimited. Yay. Right. And, um, you know, the FTC stepped in and basically kind of uh, laid the hammer down on track phone because they were offering unlimited plans, but they were throttling them. And so... um this is a, a quote from uh, Jessica Rich, director of the FTC uh, Bureau of Consumer Protection. The issue here is simple. When you promise customers unlimited, that means unlimited. So, you know, it doesn't mean unlimited until you go over two bytes a month and then it's, you know, makes you wish you had dial-up speed. Um, so if they went after uh, track phone for this, which is a prepaid carrier, you know, the AT&Ts and Verizons of the world need to go, oh, crap, um, maybe the FCC can't do anything to us, but the FTC can um, can kind of knock them down a notch. So, you know, they might have beat the FCC in court, but the FTC will get onto them for lying. So, Which I is Federal it- Trade Commission. They are in charge of making sure that uh, uh, the way that you do business is legal and lying is not legal. Right. There you it, go. Unless but you're in advertising. Sense, yeah. Yeah. It's not called line mark. It's called advertising. Um, if you're kind of having a hard time wrapping your way around this, um, think of like the government went after Al Capone on tax evasion because they couldn't find evidence of the crimes he committed. But so they convicted him because he didn't pay taxes on all the money he made illegally. So this is like, you know, the government can't get them for throttling people, but they can get them for lying to people about throttling them. Right. So, um, you know, and, and as much as people like to, to diss AT&T, I think they really took the high road on this. They, they have been doing everything possible to get rid of, of, uh, unlimited plans i had an unlimited plan until i went to 4g right uh, they said oh yeah new sim new plan sorry can't do that they, they come up with any possible reason to get rid of their unlimited plans because they for them unlimited meant unlimited and they didn't want you know they they recognized that this was a cash cow that they weren't milking properly uh so they've tried to get rid of it other plans you know sprint uh verizon uh uh, track phone these guys are saying it's unlimited but when you hit a threshold you know it starts to get a little painful we're trying to, we're going to make sure you stop using it uh one way or the other right. um and by that you know passes the textbook definition of unlimited in that there's not a limit to the number of bits you can download but the FTC said no that's that's unfair that's not right so AT&T's taking the high road on this one they there there isn't any unlimited plans you cannot buy an unlimited plan you may have a grandfathered one and they'll do everything possible to get rid of it for you so in this case they're right i hate saying that i you know i like to hate at&t it's popular it's trendy to hate at&t and i want to be cool uh but they <laughs> they read these tea leaves a while ago and are doing the right thing yeah they realize hey y'all we don't need to be nice to the customers we can be making more money off of them right. and they went holy crap you're right let the screwing begin well, the way they do it is actually quite reasonable. You pay, uh, say, five megabits for uh, X amount of money. It's way too much. All right. I fully admit that it's way too much. 
But then when you go over, they don't cut you. They just automatically add another gig at a fraction of the original cost. So these aren't real numbers, but just to make the math easy, say it's $10 for five gigs. The next gig costs you a dollar. So it's a discounted rate. Um, and then if you go over that gig, another dollar, another gig. And in that way, you can literally be unlimited. Your bill just goes up each time. I think that's the right way to do it. Uh, I think the prices really should be around $10 instead of $50, $60, and $70. Uh, right. but, but, you know, at least I think that the way they are doing it is the, the least painful way to screw us. They're lubing anyway. Yeah, that's, that's the difference. Well, you know, yeah. and if you ask nice, maybe it'll smell pretty too. So I, I can't even believe I said no. that. Yeah. <laughs> That's... Okay. Onward and upward. So, uh, so uh, this was something I dealt with this next story just uh, about this time last year. Uh, what do you do with uh, a loved one's social media assets after they die? Yeah, we, we, um, we had a show about this a while back. Um, and I just, I came across this story and I thought, you know, this is, would be an awesome way because, you know, you don't want to just walk up to someone you love and go, what should I do with your Facebook after you die? You know, they're like, what am I good? You know, and then it could just be an awkward conversation, but this is an article in the Atlantic and it's, um, this guy is talking about, um, his, you know, a conversation he had with his mother and father about what would happen to their social media after they died, you know, and some places give you an option to memorialize them or whatever, but what are their wishes? You know, you've just lost someone you love now in your grief, you need to figure out what to do with their social media. No, you can ask them beforehand and make their wishes known. Um, and this would be a great, you know, Hey honey, uh, take a few minutes and read this and tell me what you think. This story would be a great way to start that conversation um, and maybe avoid some of the awkward, but you want me to die or, you know, just, you know, how weird relationships can get like that. So public <laughs> service announcement, um, go read the Atlantic uh, Technology Archive and uh, then have that conversation now so you won't have to deal with it later. Yeah. What we did, what Facebook does is they turn the page into a memorial. Uh, right. It stays there Which as it was. Cool. You can no longer post to it. Uh, it no longer announces birthdays and anniversaries and things like that, so you don't get a painful reminder on a day that's already sad. Uh, but people can still post comments to it. Um, uh, you know, thinking of you, I remember the time. So it becomes, uh, you know, a living wall that, that people can remember. And what I liked about that when I did that for my sister-in-law last year was I didn't have to know her password um, I, we had that information, but I, I didn't have to to know it. Um, all I had to do uh, was send them proof that she had died. In this case, they require uh, an obituary. Um, so send them a clip of it. I sent them a link to an online obit. Um, and within a few days, they had turned it into a, a memorial. And there is an e there's even a process to reverse that if somebody, you know, sends the wrong obit to the wrong John Smith. Um, you can reverse that, but I think they handle that well. Other people, you know, I don't know what Twitter's policies are. I don't know what Instagram's policies are, but yeah, yeah these are things to think about. One thing also to think about is that at least in the U S all confidentiality rights to privacies, uh, protected relationships cease the moment you die. So your, you know, your dirty little secrets 
that only your lawyer knows become public access when you die. Your, you know, your eight gig trove of donkey porn uh, becomes <laughs> becomes publicly available uh, when you die. So think about these things. Uh, maybe if you don't want people to uh, see it when you die, you should not have it when you're alive. Uh, but yeah, it, it is. A, it's a it's a weird sign of our times that you have to be thinking about these things now. Right. Yeah. All right. What else can we do? I, I don't, there's nothing I, else to say. I, I, I really couldn't think of a way to come off of that one. That was pretty rough. Yeah, once I took it to donkey porn, that uh, that pretty well broke yep, it. You, right you, you pretty much killed it. It was shot in the head. <laughs> you know what's dead now? The definition of broadband. I no longer have broadband, according to the FCC. Yeah, Uh-oh. welcome to the rest of us. Um, the FCC um, has redefined broadband um has quote internet which is actually fast enough to use um uh, 25 megabits down and three megabits up guaranteed so it's not one of those up to you know you need to be able to guarantee 25 megs down and three megs up for broadband and i think this is good news because Companies want to be able to offer broadband, and so they're going to need to be invest in their infrastructure instead of just by advertising that saying they're invested. Here's the thing. If these companies would have waste, stopped wasting money on advertising and spent that money in their infrastructure, everybody would say, oh, my gosh, I have AT&T U-verse and I get two gigs down. It took me five seconds to stream the entire Breaking Bad series. And they go, oh, my gosh, I had Comcast and I'm still waiting on episode one to finish, you know, or whatever. So I think it'll be a good news. Um I think this is a good thing. So yay government for um, upping the requirements for broadband. Right. And this doesn't actually change anything. There's no legal tie to that. You can still call your product broadband. Uh, You can still use that term in your marketing if it's only 10 megabits. Uh, But when it comes to dispersal of taxes, when we start talking about broadband initiatives, um, now even me in a relatively, uh, uh, wealthy suburb of Atlanta, I no longer have broadband. I am now considered a, uh, a, an underserved demographic. Imagine that. Uh, Look so at me. Th- yeah. That's, that's what this does. You are already underserved. You are already under four mags. So. Oh yeah. Um, what's sad is look, when you look at the map that's on that website, you know, there is no other state in the union that is all- solid one color. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Unless, of course, you're talking about North and South Dakota, then they're considered close to broadband, but they've had the oil spike. So that's corporate push there. But Montana is solid red with 60% or uh, what is that? Greater greater than 60%? Yeah. You yes. have slower than 25 megabits. Or slower than seven. Seven megabits. Yeah. Okay. According so, to that, char- that so chart, so sixty percent of your country of of your state doesn't have the old definition of broadband. Correct. That's not even talking about the new broadband definition. So I I don't think it's going to change anything in the short term. You're not going to see AT and T boosting your things. But what will happen is when legislation starts pushing down the line, when we start talking about uh, regulating uh, competitions, and, and you know broadband is still a, a highly regulated thing. Um, it will have a ripple effect over time, and it's this is the first step. Defining broadband is a first step. The trouble is it's like um, building highways. 
if you plan for eight lanes today, by the time it's built, you're going to need 12 lanes. Uh, and that's the way this is. I think by the time we start to see this 25 meg ripple, uh, it will need to be 100 megs. Or you know, but here's the, here's the thing, though. AT&T can't advertise broadband access that is 20 megs now because well, there's no. a definition of broadband and they, they could then be slapped with a suit for deceptive advertising. Okay, that's not how I read that. So if you're correcting me on that, I will accept that correction. I took that to mean that it was the 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 governmental definition and didn't necessarily uh, affect uh, advertising. Oh, well, that was my, maybe I didn't read it right, but that's what I was thinking. So because hmm. broad, broadband is is you know it's like it's like saying the best you're allowed to say the best you're not allowed to say you're better do you know that that's a rule in advertising unless you have uh a study or some quantitative proof you can't say better but you can say the best because everybody can be the best everybody's equal and are the best hmm. um it'll be interesting to see what happens and I'll, I'll let you guys know if i see any big changes in my neck of the woods because from what I, some of the the rumors I heard when I before I changed jobs with the when I was implanting myself deep into some of these con these conversations with guys that you know would move cable this way, um, supposedly there is some movement to get fiber this way for yeah. upping our speeds. I would say at this point there is no technical impediment to everybody in the country having gigabit. The impediment is is financial. Yep. I would agree with that. You know, there, there. It used to be, you know, not possible to string phone lines over a certain distance, so you couldn't, you couldn't have a phone out in the country. You just couldn't do it. And then they figured out ways to to stretch it out and put repeaters. And now you can, you know, that's not a problem. And it was the same with technology. You couldn't get um, a, a DSL more than um, a thousand feet. I'm going to say from the CO. Uh, well, we've right. we've we've solved those problems. Uh, now you can have infinite bandwidth anywhere. You could have terabit anywhere in the country if you got enough money to throw at it. Yeah, there's no there aren't technical limitations anymore. Yeah, used to although a lot of the um, a lot of the limitation used to be software. Um, these days, it is a rarity, if not impossible. But you used to there used to be websites you simply couldn't reach because it took too many router hops right, too many hops to get and so if you would refresh maybe there would be a maybe the routers would find a faster hop and you could get there but there's been several upgrades to that um technology and now i think i think it was 32 and now it's like up to 256 hops or something it, you know it's a whole power of two thing that they've added several since then but so now you know you can't you Based on the old technology, you couldn't just go a mile, put a switch, go a mile, put a switch, go a mile, put a switch, because you would have, you would have lost the signal getting somewhere. Now you can go miles and miles with fiber optics and, you know, the signal will carry across literally hundreds of routers now. So you, you know, the, the limitations for high speed internet are purely, it costs too much money. You know, it, it costs a thousand dollars to get high speed internet to you. Do you want to pay a thousand dollars a month for your, you're like, no, thanks. I'm fine with dial up. Uh, you know, and it's going to take, you know, 
that's what the problem is now. It's a financial problem and not a physical problem. It was, it was, I remember within the last five years, there, they finally brought landlines to this one area of the country that didn't have land phone lines. And that was the last area in America that didn't have them. And, you know, you think, and that happened in the that w- 21st century. That was someplace in, uh, in the mountains, wasn't it? That they couldn't reach? I, I think it was, no, I think it was someplace down south, like Louisiana or something, but hmm. it, it was a, it was like, I was like, there's a place in America that didn't have phone service until today. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, that was, that freaked me out. But, and uh, that's common in much of the rest of the world. Europe, right. for example, they don't have copper all crisscrossing their country. That's why they picked up cell phones long before we, a decade before we did. Japan, uh, same thing when, you know, the, it's a mountainous terrain. There's, there's, uh, multiple governments you got to go through. There are lots of other reasons why r- most of the world didn't crisscross their world with copper like we did in the u.s which gave us an advantage you know the internet was invented here because we had a network that we could build the internet on uh but also it's hamstrung us in ways uh where you know you the the good enough is the enemy of perfection so you you've got something that's pretty good why invest in mobile phones we were late to the mobile phone thing we were late to the smartphone thing um and we're late to the the broadband over the wave uh, over the airwaves thing uh because we have such a solid infrastructure of copper and we're going to be replacing that with something and the battle right now is what are we replacing it with are we replacing it with cell towers or are we replacing it with fiber optic lines um and there's that's the question for the next century right and i think is the mother well, of invention and yeah we didn't need it yeah right so now the question i raise though is what's which would you rather have would you rather have fiber optic to your doorstop or would you rather have gigabit transactions through cell towers i want always on gigabit wi- uh, wireless that's what i want so you you'd rather have gigabit cell towers than gigabit yes. to the door yes um assuming it's affordable you know that's the thing, but in terms of assuming I can get either of them at a reasonable cost without the stupid limitations, uh, I would rather take my laptop anywhere mm-hmm. and have the same speed as opposed to having to go home and plug it in. Um, now you run into interesting things like now suddenly a software firewall becomes a lot more important. Um, oh yeah, and you know things like that. So we're, we we'd actually be t- taking a step back in a lot of ways. Um, you're you're more directly exposed to the internet. If if we ever move to IPv6, uh, you know, sometime in 2073, uh, when we actually finally move to that, I think uh, IPv8 have to. is out. Yeah, that's when yeah. we move to six. Yeah, we, we, uh, the then you, there won't be natting anymore. There won't be reason for natting anymore. So the security that comes with natting goes away as well. Uh, so it we're going to have to redefine a lot of things, and I think that the wireless infrastructure is more ripe for that than the cabled infrastructure. Okay. Good. That's a, that was a good discussion. <laughs> well, we try to have good discussions. Every we now try. and then we succeed. Um, how about this last one? This last thing we're going to do. Uh, Microsoft wants in on the Android game. And they can do that because Google doesn't own it. Right. Right. Google doesn't own it, but they control it. So, um, Cyanogen, um, their goal 
is to take Android away from Google and there provide a basically totally free and open phone system. So Microsoft has become a, a minority investor. They just, they took 70 million out of petty cash and decided and Gates to, had that in his back pocket. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that was, um, you know, okay, guys, this week we got to do generic espresso in all the bathrooms, 70 million. No problem. <laughs> we're back to, we're back to gourmet next week. We just wanted to invest in cyanogen. Um, so, you know, what happens? And this article is like, well, what happens if Google loses Android? You know, you, you think about it. Google, I mean, their, their profits this last quarter were just four billion. So, you know, a billion here, a billion there. Soon you start to talk about real money, but you know, what happens if they aren't the driving force behind Android and that 85% market becomes, you know, uh, goes to someone else? Uh, what happens to that? What happens to Google? But then what happens to the internet? Uh, cause Google is laying a pretty strong claim to being a, the dominant internet player. And, um, it was, it's just an interesting article. So it, this is yet another battleground of Microsoft v Google. Yeah. So the open handset alliance, uh, founded, anchored by Google, uh, created Android. Uh, and it's an open source platform. You can get AOSP, Android open source project. When Lollipop was released by Google, yep. um, they dumped the code, the AOSP code, and it's out there and anybody can do anything they want with it. That's open. Cyanogen is one of the people doing that. Other people are doing it as well. So it's, it is already out there and people are already doing it. But the key for me in my life, what makes Android useful is the Google apps, Gmail, Google Maps, Google Now. Uh, these are the things that are, that are, um, you know, have worked their way into my life. If I could get a Windows phone with Google Now and Google Maps, I'd be fine with that because it's not the Android that's important to me. It's the Google services. And right. that's where they, they hold the, and it's not hard to get those services. You have to have, uh, meet certain criteria, but they're still, they're, they're Google. Um, and, and again, like I said, Lollipop was released. Other people were working on it, but Google released Lollipop and said, this is the new face of Android. How do they have the right to do that? They don't. It's just they're the only one doing it. There's been Cyanogen Mod 10, 11, and 12's upcoming. Um, and they've been, they've been going on along, but they're the hackers. D- uh, uh, distribution, so to speak, they're the the Debian of mm-hmm. of the Android world, uh, and you know, again, One Plus One is probably the first company, or the One Plus is the company, the One is the phone. One Plus is probably the first people who who've taken Cyanogen Mod and tried to legitimize them, and Microsoft said, "Yeah, I, I kind of like the way this is going." Microsoft has not done well in the phone market. No, nope, they uh, have despite despite their attempts. Uh, the neat thing about Windows 10 is it's, it finally gets where Windows 7 was supposed to be. It's one Windows everywhere. Yeah. Executables are, are, uh, uh, programs are executable across all devices. So they're still in that space. But if they can, uh, uh, take Google down a notch, I think this, I think everybody wins. Well, but the, the big thing that I found with Cyanogenmon is at least the version that I put on my tablet. Um, I don't really feel it's ready for prime time. I mean, it, it has a lot of, of, of weird hiccups on my tablet. And I don't know if that's just because my tablet's old and it has hiccups, but, um. Well, it's because they haven't focused intently on a single set of hardware. Right. That's what Google was so good at. The, here's the Nexus line. 
and we're going to focus intently on that set of hardware. With the OnePlus One, that's exactly what they did, and it is solid and stable, and it's is the it? best cyanogen, cyanogen I've ever used. It's, interestingly, they've taken the mod out of it. It's not cyanogen mod anymore. It's not a mod of anything. It is now its own thing. Hmm. So on my wife's OnePlus One, cyanogen is stable. It's solid. It, it, there aren't any funky Bluetooth or Wi-Fi issues. Now, I heard earlier on that some of the, the initial models were, but uh, the one I bought her for Christmas has had none of those problems. Um, and it's it's great. It's uh, Like I said, I've run cyanogen mod a couple of times on phones. This is better than all of the others because they were intently focused on a single set of hardware and backed by a single company. No. So I think I think it's a good thing. Well, there you go then. Um, that, that eliminates a couple of my wonderings about cyanogen on the OnePlus. Yeah, I, I, it will be my next phone or maybe the OnePlus 2, you know, uh, when it's time to upgrade from my Nexus 5, which is still a, a, an amazing phone. Uh, I have a hard time. I've gotten a couple of invites and I keep every time I think, ah, I, I want this phone, but the only reason to get it is if I want it. And I yep. just, I can't do it just because I want, I can't take a good, solid, still flagship quality phone and throw it in the shell, a desk drawer <laughs> just because I want another one. I can't do it. I'm not Leo Laporte. I just can't make <laughs> myself do that. So quick question about the OnePlus since we've kind of de- went down that road for a minute. Does it have an external SD card slot? Does or not. Does not. Okay. Most phones don't these days. My HTC does. Well, I didn't say all phones don't. I said most phones don't. I know. But, you know, once you've got a 64-gig card in there, what more do you need? Um, I'm running out of room when I put when I start loading it up with podcasts. I'm not. I've got a third, I've got the 32-meg version of the, the Nexus 5, and I haven't filled it up. Really? So, yeah. Yeah, I'm filling mine. But that's okay. But I also have a lot of my music on there for dimes that I'm not able to stream. Because bandwidth is so expensive up in my neck of the woods. Yeah. Uh, okay, I think that's that's it for the news stories. Now let's go on to this week in history. A, a small website you may have heard of began a few years ago. Yes, um, I came across this and I thought, well, I have to put this in there. February the 4th, 2004. Facebook, a mainstream online social networking site, is founded by Mark Zuckerberg. I wasn't even on MySpace yet in 2004, and, <laughs> and he was already starting Facebook. So it has been around. This would be will be into the 16th year next this way later this week. So that's pretty cool. It's been out for a while. Um, that happened this week in history. Wait, 16th year, 2004 to 2015. Isn't that the 11th year? It, we will be starting the 16th. Uh, the the yeah. Did I say, uh, I mean, 11th, 11th, yeah. right? Yes. Okay, Cause 11th. I thought I was wrong on that. Wait. Yeah. So 11th year. Yes. <laughs> we will be starting the 11th year. <laughs> He's actually counting on his feet. Wait, no, 12th. No. We'll be starting the 12th year starting. Yeah. It will turn 11th. Yeah. And yeah. On the fifth, begin its 11th, uh, 12th year. I yes. meant to say 12th. I don't know why 16 came out and then it just, I'm, <laughs> I'm broke again. Sorry. That's yeah, okay. We're recording on a Saturday. Our biorhythms are messed up. <laughs> We're not accustomed to doing that. Um, and so while you've got the floor, Seth, uh, what do you have this week to lower my productivity so that you're a better hiring option? Okay. Well, this, I came across this and I thought this was, this was actually pretty cool. Uh, Grand Theft Auto 
Um, of course, you know, they come out with a new one, however often. And this guy went through, um, there's this phone there called the, the fruit, which is basically like an apple, uh, in the game. He went to physical locations and took a photo. And so, for example, there's one that is basically the Santa Monica pier. Um, but you, you can kind of slide there's, and then on one side is the video game and on the other side is what it looks like in real life. And I just thought it was kind of interesting to see how good the detail was in uh, Grand Theft Auto and seeing how well it looked. Of course, you know, like they would change the name. So um, it's called, it's not called the Santa Monica Pier. It's called Del Perio Pier, but that's basically what it looks like. And so you just go to these different sites and you, you do the slider to see what it looks like in the video game versus what it looks like um, in real life. And like, you know, since I went to California for work, um, and I, I recognize some of these places. I was like, Oh my gosh, that looks so cool. And, uh, anyway, it's just kind of, there's more trash in the game version. Yeah, pretty much, <laughs> <laughs> but it's still pretty cool to see, you know, those game developers, they must, I mean, they'd have to have source pictures to base these things off be, to be this accurate. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I just thought it was some of them are some of them are so are pretty much so accurate that you can't even tell the difference. Like the one at the Ferris wheel, uh-huh. that one is you know it's spot on. It's there's more stuff in the the game version, but that's still pretty darn close and pretty darn cool. Now, what my impression as I'm clicking through them is most of them I want to live in the game one, yeah, rather than the real one because the game right. one is a little more. Except for the one where the dude, there's a dead guy in the middle of the road. Except for there being more trash. <laughs> right. Uh, I read, what was it? Uh, I'm not even going to tell the story because I can't remember it and I would just be making stuff up. So never mind. So? Insert something witty here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it had to do with Pixar. They, they recreated one of the scenes like in, I think it's, um, a bug's life. Like that, that whole thing takes place in one of the producer's real backyard. Interesting. Like the, the, the pond and the hill and the whole thing is, is an exact reproduction of one of the guy's backyards. Um, cause like you said, they've got to, they've got to get some source material from somewhere and it's easier to copy than to create. Right. Right. So yeah, if you're going to do Grand Theft Auto and you're based in San Francisco, it makes sense that a lot of the stuff's going to be from San Francisco. Yeah. You're based in, you know, if you're doing a, a movie and you're based in, in Seattle, then it makes sense that a lot of the stuff's going to be based on the stuff you know, the stuff you can see and can copy. You know, I'll have to ask a buddy of mine. He does video game for, you know, or I guess he, he does it now. He's taking a break. But he did video game design for the last 10 years. Um, I'll have to see if I can pick his brain a little bit and see, you know, for the games that he worked on, if there was anything that he actually went to a location or was, you know, brought video footage from the, a location for his games. It'd I mean, be if interesting. You're, if you're designing Doom and you want to see what hell looks like, just go to a high school. And, uh, <laughs> that's why it looks like a lot of the halls of a lot of high schools. <laughs> there you go. Yep. Uh, all right. Uh, that's, that ends our show, except this is the part of the show where I tell you how you can feed back to us, how you can be like Chad and 
um, Joel. Mark, uh, Joel at the beginning, uh, who, uh, who were part of the show. Uh, you, if you know Seth, you can send him an email. You can do that. Or, uh, you can go to the elementop.com, click the contact us button at the top of the page and, uh, make your, uh, comment known there. You can send us an email directly, edl at elementop.com. Or if you would like your voice to appear right here alongside mine, you can uh, call 559-IAMOP anywhere in North America. That's a free call. If you're outside the country, just send me a, a recording of whatever you have to say and we'll play that. We do this show for you. Uh, you're the reason that we, uh, uh, make these recordings and, and make these ridiculous statements. Uh, we hope that you enjoy listening to them. If you do, tell others about it. If you'd like to support us, there's ways to do that on our website. You could go to uh, use our Amazon referral link. You could use our Audible referral link. You could go to our friends over at the Linux Academy and tell them that you found about it here. Those are all great ways to uh, make sure that this podcast keeps going. But the simplest way is just tell people about it. Uh, go to iTunes, leave us a rating and a review. That would be greatly appreciated. Uh, and uh, most of all, just keep listening. Thanks you uh, for being a listener. Chris, Seth, thank you for being the great host that you are. And I'm going to say that ends this episode of Everyday Linux. Everyday Linux.